This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. What's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates the Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That's ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the code BXP. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we discover what makes a best-selling novel whilst trying to write, publish and market one in just a year. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay, and thank you so much for joining us today. And we'd like to thank our show sponsors, Scrivener, the official writing app of the bestseller experiment. If you haven't tried Scrivener yet, pop over to literatureandlatte.com for your 30-day free trial of this fantastic writing tool. And this week, we have a very, very special guest. Uh, best-selling author Maria Semple uh, is in the UK, basically a whirlwind tour for her, her brand new book. Uh, Today Will Be Different. Uh, she also wrote the best-selling book, uh, Where Do You Go, Bernadette, which is being made into a movie very soon. But she's also worked a lot in TV. She first started out writing for Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, she was nominated for an Emmy. She worked on shows like Mad About You and Arrested Development, which is one of my favourite comedy shows of all time but she's having great success as a novelist as well yeah now i've 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 heard that maria is really really big in this in the states isn't she very much so yeah this was on the day that she was announced by the hollywood reporters being a power author one of <laughs> uh, 25 uh, people they they nominated and that included some really really big names like george R. R. martin and jk rowling and i think it's because maria writes these books that do tap into something that that people really relate to and uh they have that kind of because she's worked in tv and film i think they have a real pace to them and that's something she talks about in the interview and she's also living the dream like many authors uh well someone else i know has done this but written books or have had movies made of their books and that you know i i can't imagine there's any author out there who would ever turn down that opportunity no absolutely and it's uh i think for her there's uh well, she she writes, you know, she does a thing. She doesn't write a book in order for it to be a TV show or, or, or a movie. But uh, I think the way she writes lends itself to that. But all her book, if you read any of her books, the, you know, the, the inner monologue of the characters is so distinct. It's so vivid uh, that it's um, you, you're, you're kind of casting it in your head, you know, as, as you read mm. it. It's, it really jumps off the page at you. It's, it's they're really highly recommended. 
And it's kind of interesting because your background is in screen writing as well and, yeah. and having worked in that for many years. And I think there's something in that, you know, looking from the outside in as someone who's learning the craft of writing, I do think that there must be uh, some really interesting ideas of exploring screenwriting as a tool for writing a novel. Yeah, in terms of structure, you know, uh, you know, in movies and TV, you have the unit of the scene. So, you know, a scene can be half a page, a page, three pages long, five pages maybe on TV. Uh, whereas a chapter, a chapter is a completely different unit. And, uh, you know, you can, it's... It, it's um they're two very different ways of telling stories but one can definitely inform the other and i think you you can definitely see the tv and film influence in, in maria's work i'm definitely going to ask you more about that because that's one area i really need to brush up on scenes beats chapters it confuses the hell out of me but anyway the other thing we should mention is this the, the theme of of this episode is about the voice because that's one of the big things that we're going to hear about in the interview with maria so i've heard about this a lot mark you know it's like find your voice and you've got to get your voice can you can you kind of explain in layman's terms and as a refresher for those that already know like what what is the voice of a writer? It's finally getting to the point where you write truthfully, I think, you know, I th and we've mentioned this in other episodes too, is, is, you know, you might, if you admire another writer, you might try and write like that writer. You know, if, if you like uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino, you might try and write like Quentin Tarantino. Mm. You will fail but it's worth trying for a while because you'll learn something. You know, you you might discover something in his rhythm, something in the way that he writes. Uh, for me, when I was I was growing up, it was either David Mamet because I love Glengarry Glen Ross, oh, or yeah. or uh, John Sullivan who wrote the British uh, sitcom uh, Only uh, Only Fools and Horses. Oh, you know, which is a favorite. weird mix, but that's <laughs> it's kind of a bizarre. It is a bizarre very combo. very bizarre mix. What kind of but, cocktail you know, might you get out of that? <laughs> it, well, me ultimately, uh, but. Yeah, it's, uh, but ultimately I had to find out who I really was. And, you know, growing up, I love Terry Pratchett. I love Douglas Adams. Right. But I can't be them. You know, those guys are geniuses and I, I'm not them. But I, and, you know, you can certainly in my early writing, I got very verbose in the way that Adams and Stephen Fry, uh, who, who, you know, might get like that. But those are really mega intelligent guys with brains the size of a planet. That's probably how they speak as well. And exactly, exactly. Are you saying that your voice is kind of developed over time as a mishmash, an amalgamation of all of the kind of things that you've read and loved and you kind of create a, your author voice? Or is your author voice uniquely you, i.e. it's not a combination? I mean, your must voice be in, is, must no, be. your voice is uniquely you. Okay, your so voice it's about is who you are. It's about you being authentic and you being Mark Stay. As we'll hear Maria say, I think it's about you being brave enough to be yourself. Okay, that's good. Because that, that was a bit I always got confused on. And again, I always do this, but I always put the analogy to music. And the same thing applies there. And everyone's trying to sound like the latest chart smash. But actually, it's what you bring to it musically that makes it unique. And that can be the thing that can trigger the success within what you're doing. So I'm glad that you've kind of cleared that in my mind because it, it the thing about voice is it's i think it's one of those things that you don't really get to learn about unless you've studied writing or you you know you've, you've either done it at some academic level you've sat down and read books or you're part of a writer's group and, and it, it was quite a relatively new thing when i first started to get into writing so 
on that note, I think it'd be good to dive into the interview with Maria, Mark. What do you reckon? Let's go for it. Hello, I'm Mark State, and I'm delighted to be speaking to Maria Semple, author of uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is a huge bestseller and soon to be a major movie directed by Richard Linklater. And her new book today will be different. Uh, and I'm speaking to you today on the day that The Hollywood Reporter announced that you are a power author. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and now that's that's along with the likes of J.K. Rowling and George R.R. Martin. I don't know who these people are. I know who you are. <laughs> um, I mean, being what, what does that what does that mean to you being a power author? It just means that someone put me on the list of power authors. I don't know what it means. I actually didn't see it. I saw the headline. And then I clicked, and it was like a slideshow, and it starts with number 25, and it was me. And I was like, wait, the first thing that's going to happen is someone's going to see that I'm number 25, and then I just deleted the whole article, and I don't need that in my life. I feel like, okay, at least now I have something to aspire to, which is then at least to be 24 and up, because it feels kind of bad to be numbered and be number 25 on the list. So you might have to ask 24 what it feels like. But you have a you have a, a a great Hollywood background. You grew up in in Hollywood. Your your father I read wrote the pilot episode for the original Batman TV show, which makes him a hero in my book. Indeed. Thank you. So, um, uh, so uh, in, you've written for screenplays and you've written for films as well. But now you're writing novels. How is that different for you? It, well, the sol the solitary nature of writing novels is is the first kind of clear. Um, difference is that you're alone in a room and your time is your own and there's no um, budget constraints and there's no actors walking and saying, I refuse to say that line. Um, and you don't have a lot of writers shouting at you uh, while you're trying to think and come up with a line. Uh, I much prefer writing novels. I really like being in control of my time and I feel like I have a strong voice and it's um, easier for me to just kind of put it directly on the page instead of collaborating. Speaking of your voice, how long did it take for you to find your voice? Because that's something we, we find a lot of authors talk about a lot is finding their voice. Was that difficult for you? It was difficult. And I think that I'm getting stronger with my voice as I go. And I feel like this book today will be different as by far the purest, most realized version of my voice. And I was a TV writer, as you said, for many years. And I took one writing class and it was a long writing class. And I left after the first um, session. Um, but in that first session, I will say that there was a really important um exercise we had to do. And, and the reason why I left is because I felt like no one even understood the exercise, but it was just simply write how you talk. And I just wrote how I talk because I know how to write how I talk. And I did it. It was very easy for me. It, it, it blew my mind how many people were unable to write the way they spoke, that you would just be having a conversation with them by the coffee maker, and then they'd stand up and say, write how you talk, and it was so stilted and nothing like the way they talked. And so I knew that the class wasn't for me because the teacher said, okay, we might be spending the next five sessions on learning how to write how you talk. And I thought, okay, I don't need to do this. But I, I do, you know, I don't really understand why that's hard for people to access just because I don't have a hard time accessing it. That said, I think it's really important um, to start off by being able to write how you talk, even if it means recording yourself and then transcribing it and getting um, 
a sense of what your natural rhythms are and your word choice and the cadence. Um, I think that once you can do that, that's the beginning of finding your voice. I think that that, that, that isn't necessarily your voice, you know, writing how you're talking. I'm not saying that that's exactly your voice, but I'm saying that kind of loosens you up and taps you into something that's very personal and kind of of you. And, and from that point, I think that you can then start to, um, build, uh, but I, I think that for people who are having a, a difficult time, and I really do recognize that it is very difficult, I would just start every day by trying to write a page how you talk. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Uh, one, one of the things about your books is, is particularly the dialogue zings off the page. Now, as you say, some of that is your voice, but of course you're writing about the people around you, you're observing people and their habits, and, and does that ever get you into trouble? Does it ever give you pause? Do you sort of have maybe a discussion with a friend or a family member and think, oh, this would be great for a book, but this person might recognize it and get mad at me, or, or, or do you just go for it? Do you just step into the danger zone there? Well, I go for it. And it's interesting because when I'm talking to people who are aspiring writers, uh, so many people say to me, oh, I would write that, but it would offend people. And I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And and what I think is I think that that's um, self-sabotage. I think it's the voice of self-sabotage. I think anytime someone says that to me, I just say, you obviously don't want to write a book and you obviously don't want it enough. And so you're just using that as an excuse to stop and to kind of put down the, your arms before you've even started the fight is just to lay down your arms because I, I don't, I don't believe in that. And I think that that if you are starting to write close to home to someone, I think it's really easy to change the details in the 15th draft, you know, just change the physical characteristics, change a lot of identifiable things about them. And often they don't recognize themselves at all, which has happened to me. Or to the extent that they do recognize themselves, they feel like, oh, it's just a little part of me because 80% of it is not me, but then there's that little part of me. And I, I, I also think it's really important not to write from a place of revenge. I think that if you do want to kind of write um, for some emotional reason to get back at someone, then that's bad. I think that you are an artist first and foremost. And if the people in your life and the relationships in your life and the things that you observed in your life are kind of the colors on your palette, I think that you are allowed to use those and turn them into art. But um, I and 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 that's all you have to use to turn into art is the people around you and what you've observed. But it doesn't mean that it it all has to be hatchet jobs. I think that applies to you as well, because from what I can see, from what I see in your writing, it is very personal and you are exposing your inner self to the world. Um, again, you're very bold about that kind of thing. Is, uh, is that something you would advise? Because I, I think a lot of new authors are very reticent to put themselves on the page. Did you ever have that hesitation? Did you ever, did that ever give you pause? It it did give me pause. Right now, uh, I'm on my um, I've written three books, and right now I have no pause about it. You know, because I've kind of seen what happens when you put yourself out there. And I've got to say, in my experience, the more I put myself out there, 
the greater I get rewarded. And I really think that that's the leap of faith that somebody has to take. I think if you start from a place of of hiding and of not wanting to be true and real and not wanting to expose yourself, you're going to write something terrible. I just do. I just think find another job then. Don't be a writer. You know, because I do think that you need to write only what you can write. And I think that means you have to tap into something that's very personal and that's unique to you, and that is yourself. You used to teach writing, then. That's correct. Yes, and I still do. I like to teach. I just have not found the time for it recently. But um, I do I do teach. And what are the most common mistakes that writers make these days? I think they don't have enough story in their books. I think that um, action is really important, and I think people don't even know what a scene is. You know, I, I teach a class that's a scene class, Um And it sometimes takes me three sessions to even explain what a scene is, you know? And so I think that, that you need to get the book started. You have to make enough happen. And I think the reason, uh, excuse me, the way you make things happen is to have characters take action. And that's the most important thing. And so what, what you need is for, is, is to really know what action is and what an active character is. And you can, and, and, my advice is to look at screenwriting books because I think books about writing fiction don't really talk about this. And I think it's all in screenwriting books. There's a book by Robert McKee called Story. Story. Yeah, that that I think is indispensable. And I have that on my desk and I flip through it and there's chapters in there that are uh, uh, highlighted and turned down. You know, the page, the corner of the pages are turned down. And every time I'm writing a novel, I will, you know, once a week or whenever it is, just pick up story by Robert McKee and just check myself. Just make sure I'm following the rules because it means you're going to be writing an a, a action-packed kind of fast um, story. And that's really pleasurable to readers. That's why you do it. Because I think when you write, it has to come from a place of generosity. You're doing it for your readers. And so I think giving them a fast moving story really is a generous um, act um, because it's a wonderful thing to give to readers. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Maria. Thank you, Mark. My goodness me. I tell you, I don't know where to start. That was incredible. There was so many things that I picked up in in what was quite a relatively short interview. So much, so much good stuff. Nuggets, things for the Vault of Gold book. Oh my goodness. I was clinging to her ankles as a publicist (laughs) dragged her from the room saying, Maria, no, just two more minutes. Oh, that was brilliant. And that's incredible that on that day, she had actually just entered this kind of top 25 chart. So that was, um, you know, and I think that when I looked at that article on Hollywood Reporter, I think it was, the way they did it is it was a combination of book sales and, you know, movies that had been made from books. So they, they that's why there was a lot of authors in that list who have, who've done, been successful outside of the, just the book world. But I think that is the bigger picture, you know, that it, it we have to embrace that when you're looking at bestsellers because a best-selling book has potentially a good chance of being moved into and made into other mediums. So it was really interesting to uh, to hear what she said. But, you know, what what's jumped out for me initially, she talked about was, again, there's this idea of the strong voice. But the thing that she said, which was this big kind of aha moment for me, was write how you talk. Yeah. Is that something that you've heard of before, Mark? Oh, definitely. And it's an exercise I did. When I was writing theatre with a friend of mine called Dominic, we we used to do these exercises where we'd agree to meet. He'd come around my house, knock on the door, we'd have a conversation, and then we'd say, stop. And we sat down and wrote down the conversation we had from the moment he came through the door to when we sat down. 
and we we had all this dialogue on the page, most of which was nonsense, but there were little bits in it, overlaps and repetitions and stuff like that that were very, very interesting. Now, that's not to say the dialogue in your novel should be as verbose as the kind of conversation that you have with a friend because there's so many non sequiturs and so many little sidetracks and stammers and everything. Um, but you do find rhythms in there that are very, very interesting. And also you start finding your own voice. You know, you start mm-hmm. uh, listening to the patterns of your own speech and the way that you talk. I mean, I've um, I've kind of always struggled with it because I, I grew up in London, very working class family. And then when I was eight, I moved out to Surrey, which for those of you, not Surrey in Canada, Surrey, just south of London, which uh, if you don't live in England is is quite a posh part of the country. Uh, so, you know, the people in Surrey thought I was common as muck. <laughs> so much so the first school play when I was eight years old, they cast me as the Cockney Pearly King. Well, so what and- was that? What was the show? It was the... Um- it was a big joke about Mary Poppins. Exactly. Well, Dick Van Dyke, yeah. Dick Van Dyke, yeah. Oh, blimey, mate. And then when I go and see my family in London, my nan, who's, you know, London through and through, she say, he don't talk like us, do he? You know? <laughs> so so I've, I've always been in that weird kind of place where am I this person or am what I that person? What is your voice? Yeah. Are you and a I cockney think, geezer? Exactly. Or, or am I, you, you know, you know my, my, my wife notices that family. When, I, when, I, when I talk to my family on the phone, I, I do revert to uh, London geezer a bit, you know? So I want to hear this voice. So is it, are you, you've just been putting on this voice the whole time because I don't hear the cockney <laughs> at all. It's just like some... So when we talk about voice, I'm waiting for this. You know, I've got to tell you a funny story. When I was doing athletics as a kid, there was a, a guy that had this really light, posh English accent. And we used to travel around the country and I got to know him really well. And then one day his dad came with us on a trip and his dad was the thickest Scottish accent. You know, imagine Billy Connolly times 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were sitting on his bus going to a uh, athletics meet and he said to me, he turned to me, he said, yeah, so um, what are you competing in today, Mark? And I said, oh, no, no. And then he turned to his dad and said, uh, Oi, and I, honestly, <laughs> it was like, I couldn't understand what he was saying. So like, yeah, I've got to do hills today, dad. And I, I'd like never... to apologise to our listeners in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> that terrible accent. But do you know what I mean? I think yeah, it's totally so no, incredible. So what, so tell me, are you like proper cookie geezer, like so well, I, crooked and you can't walk and... Not anymore, but you know, I, I've i got, I that is my background, you know, and... So if you uh, use that voice in your book then, yeah, well, Robot Overlords, does that come I think, out? I think the point is, is that we can adopt different personas. You know, you don't just have to write about being a Londoner or being from Surrey or being from one place or the other. I think that the voice isn't so much an accent. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's who you are and it's putting yourself on there. That. And that's what she talked about was, you know, uh, she said, the more I put myself out there, the greater I get rewarded. The more she puts herself on the page with, you know, a brutal honesty the better the writing is. If you're coming from a place of truth and if you can figure out who you are, then you'll be a better writer for it if you can figure out a way to do that. And that that's a struggle I've always had. I think a lot of people will relate to that. They might have different influences in their lives, members of their family pulling them one direction or another. And who am I? What's my role in the world? What have I got to say yeah. about the world? What have I got to offer the world of my writing? If you can figure out what that is, then you've got a voice. And it can take, it's taken me years to figure that out. Oh, and, I, and I'm still, that's you know. Depressing. Yeah, mate. (laughs) You know what's what's funny, though, is, I mean, I loved what Maria said, and it sounds like she has 
very much a natural ability to write as she speaks. And I think yeah. that's, that's, that's a real blessing. And I think maybe um, for many other people, it, it's, a, it's a process of discovery and learning. But what I do think is, you know, the, maybe there is something, something there about best-selling books definitely have that voice. And maybe that's one of those threads that we're going to pick up on. You often hear about how distinctive certain authors are in their writing, yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. could be converted to, you know, it's their voice is distinctive. So maybe that's one of the, one of the things we're going to have to like look for when we interview other authors, just how much do, do our bestsellers specifically successful? And it's because of the fact that they've, they've, managed to get this voice down well you'll know what it's like when you read a book that chimes with you okay when you read a book that you go it's like this book has been waiting for me to read it you know and i first mm. had that feeling with hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy you know i read that and i thought i get this I totally get this. I totally understand this. I also understand that 98% of the population won't get it at all <laughs> but because because I found such a perfect fit, and the same happened with Terry Pratchett uh, and also an author called Robert Rankin that I love, uh, you know, you find these authors that you kind of, I totally get this. You mm. see it with Stephen King. The thing about Stephen King's books is those wonderful characters who speak in a way you think, even though, even if you've never been to America in your life, you think, I know who this guy is. Right, yeah. You know, yeah, I know yeah, who this it. is. And that's... It, it, if you can do that, then if you can reach out and appeal to a reader like that, then you know you you you're on your road to success. Mm. Uh, but the the problem is if if you're looking over your shoulder, if you're worried about that. I mean, it's interesting. The there was this whole thing recently about the author Elena Ferrante, who writes these best-selling novels, uh, which have been a huge success. And one of the reasons people love them is they are so brutally honest, emotionally very, very raw. Mm. And she chose to write this under a pseudonym. And suddenly she's, you know, some journalist has, has told the world who she is. Now that's maybe robbed her of the ability to write in such a truthful way if, if she's looking over her shoulder. And that's a, that's a terrible thing, you know. So mm. I think if, if you're a writer and you want to write something that is emotionally very, very raw and honest, and you're worried about you know, offending the people around you. Because uh, as as Maria said, you know, the people around you, you can turn them into art, you know. Uh, they're oh, they're yeah. your, your greatest resource. Uh, then yeah. resource, then then maybe you should write under a pseudonym, you know, if, you, if you're worried about that. Or if, like Maria, you're completely bold about it, then then go for it. But that that's uh it's a difficult stage to get to because it is it is exposing your your emotions to the world. Until until you become a bestseller, of course, and then everyone around you has to be very careful what they say in your presence. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what was really interesting was um, I like the way that she, Maria mentioned about how you know you can change the detail. It doesn't matter. You know, write yeah. the reality to begin with. But then she threw in just th toss this in, and, and in the fifteenth draft, and I'm like fifteenth draft. <laughs> like, yeah, and well, yeah. No, I know. Yes. I'm, I'm yes. easing myself into this, but. <laughs> And I know you're not going to get it done on the first draft, but I found it amusing um, that, you know, it's like, it's not about necessarily having to recreate reality or recreate reality as fiction in the first draft. It's almost write the reality in the first draft. And then as you get further and further into the book, that's when you start to change it. And I thought that was a really good tip that she gave us because I think that, you know, I... 
I think people would typically hold back being honest and authentic if they think that they don't have the have permission or the choice to remove stuff further down the road yeah. if they're editing. It's, it's also one of the reasons why writers are very, very reluctant to show anyone an early draft. A first draft is going to be terrible. Uh, you, you just, until you've got gotten to the end of the first draft you don't even know what your book is yet you'll go back you'll reread it you'll reread it and you'll be so depressed and you think this is awful i can't dare Not call myself a writer no I, I, this, i've been here so many times you think this is awful it's never going to work then you put it away for a little while you come back to it and you start seeing the good stuff and then you start polishing it and putting it together and finding out what it's about finding out what the truth is what the, the thing is that you put in there that's that's bouncing back at you that that resonates that makes some kind of sense you know mm. it's uh it's it, it is fascinating to me this whole process it is it is like i mean people talk about writing as therapy and it, it kind of isn't it isn't but because you've got to entertain people i think if you're you asking therapy people, after you finish the book maybe yeah, very possibly. <laughs> you are asking people to part with their hard-earned money to read your story so you have, i think you have an obligation to entertain them uh but also, you, you have to be honest, and it's finding that balance. It's interesting as well what she said. You know, a lot of writers says there's not enough story. You know, mm. she said people don't know what a scene is, don't know what it. You know, how to how so to uh, define define in your words what a scene is. Well, I guess it's a unit of action. You know, like okay. in. Um, for me, writing is uh, like macros within macros, you know? So you've got a beginning, middle, and end, okay? Mm. So people talk about the three-act structure. That's essentially what that is. Uh, but I think each of those acts, if you like, have to have a beginning and middle and end within them. And then each of the story beats within that, be it a chapter or a scene in a movie or a sequence in a movie, that has to have a beginning, middle, and end. So you, you, you're, your units are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So what, what is the most granular? Like, what is the 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 atom when <laughs> we're talking about breaking things down is that is that a scene or is that a beat because that's the bit i always get confused on well if you want to get granular i mean you can get down to the sentence you know oh, as a has a, yeah, as a yeah. beginning middle and that's end true um but yeah it depends that's the i mean with movies you have scenes and scenes can be just a couple of lines half page three pages whatever a chapter is, is often much longer i mean you had uh, authors like Terry Pratchett who did away with chapters altogether mm. uh, they just uh, constantly flowed from one event to another and that's that's a very interesting uh, interesting way to write and one I tried to emulate for a long time and it, it, it didn't work again that was me trying to find my voice I thought I'm going to be like Terry I'm not going to write with with chapters i don't need these chapters yeah uh it turns out i did <laughs> uh so you know it's um it's screenplays because screenplays yeah. are important though because they we talked about you know there aren't really chapters in screenplays as such i mean you don't have you don't have a break in a movie for example it just flows from one to the other so and maria also talked about um how that was from her background and i am starting to wonder just how that is that something that writers potentially miss because when people say i want to write a novel they go and study writing a novel but when i look at dialogue and i look at screenplays and i look at movies and i hear all of these best-selling authors saying it's all about dialogue and it's all about action i wonder if there's a secret source in there which is if you think like a screenwriter thinks 
then you're going to naturally, you know, as you as you um, said to Maria, you know, that her dialogue zings off the page. How yeah. important do you, I mean, what she said there, how much did that resonate with you as a screenwriter as well? Well, it depends on the kind of book you want to write. Uh, I mean, she's writing these great character pieces where there's lots of snappy, snappy dialogue, you know, and that might not be the, the book you want to write. But if it is, then dialogue is very important. Yeah, but if you're writing a bestseller, if you're writing a bestseller, do you have to have that zingy action? Like, do you have to keep people hooked? Because I honestly, I, I'm, I know I'm not one to sit around and read like, um, like a War and Peace, for example. I do like, I do like something with a bit of pace. But I'm wondering, have there, you know, how often are there bestsellers that are very well? I mean, it, she she talked about story there, the Robert McKee book, uh, which is you know the the bible for a lot of writers uh, when it comes to structure, because he gives you the screenplay structure and you can apply that to pretty much any storytelling form mm. uh, and novelists do adopt that I mean it's it's not unknown for publishers to send novelists on the Robert McKee course you know mm. if, if they're writing those pacey page turning bestsellers so yeah it's it's not unusual I mean so I say is that something we can try I mean I'd, I'd be interested to explore that because that might be a whole new thing to to other writers out there to, to possibly learn. i mean to be honest you can just read the book you know uh, <laughs> it's, i've got yeah. time to read a book i'm too busy to write one no. it's uh it's yeah i I've, I've read the book i i found it when i was a young screenwriter i found it very very interesting and fascinating uh i've sort of moved on from it in a way because I, I think there's more to it than than he suggests to be honest right but it's a good it's a very good foundational thing as a primer yeah definitely yeah the other thing that i was going to throw in there as well is the other thing i'm starting to pick up with with a lot of these interviews we're doing is that it seems like every author every successful author has their go-to book yeah. and i love this idea that by the end of the year we're going to have this incredible list you know for shannon it was the the writer's journey yeah. um for maria it was story and it's definitely something i think we want to pull out of each author to find out what is you know what is that one that's thumbed with the pages falling out and and the spine broken and maybe they've had to reorder because i i do think that every great author um has their bible and to have a kind of ultimate list of that would be an incredible resource i think yeah i mean it's some um, <sighs> There's a danger you'll spend too long reading these books and not writing your own. I think you can learn by doing as much as you it can is, by yeah. reading I think, them. I think Shannon always says she dips into it when she gets stuck, and I think that's what it's about. It's about having having read it but then to, to get the grounding, but then when you get stuck, it's your go-to book to get you out of a sticky... Or just, you know, I find that I read, a, as you probably guessed, I read a lot of personal development, self-help type material. Yeah. And I find it's particularly useful when you when you need a kind of a, a shot in the arm or you need some inspiration. And so it's that, I think it's that kind of element which those books bring to writers. Because every, I mean, every author, whether they've sold millions or, or none, we all will hit those moments, I think, where we need to get a bit of a pick-me-up. Yeah, very much so. I mean, my one, uh, Sam Eads mentioned this book as well in episode two, uh, is Into the Woods by John York. Uh, right. I, I just yeah. love it. It's Because um, a lot of these books will tell you when certain things need to happen. You know, the hero crosses the threshold and blah, 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 blah. He talks about why, and I find that very important. It's more about the psychology of, of storytelling. There's a great 45-minute presentation that he does to Google 
in the UK. I think it's in the UK, but it's on YouTube and I saw it the other day and I was blown away by it. So I think we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll uh, put, it the the f- episode. Yeah. put it on the so Facebook you, and Twitter as well. So yeah, if you get along to bestsellerexperiment.com and also just to remind you as well, we, we are compiling uh, the most incredible tips and advice from all these million sellers and everyone who signs up to the bestseller experiment at the website will get a copy of that PDF and or a .pub, I believe, now an EPUB. EPUB um, so yes. you can read it on your Kindle or however you want to. So do, do make sure you make use of that because it's, um, it's our gift to you. And on that note of getting a shot in the arm, I think it's time, Mark, for a quick one-minute motivation. Are you ready? Go for it, man. Excellent. Well, I wanted this week to talk about something that Maria brought up and she talked about the word, the voice, the self-sabotage. Because when we talk about voice and creating and finding our voice, there's a double journey going on here. It's not just about us finding our writer's voice, it's about finding our voice, which actually is the voice we want to have when we want to write and think like a bestseller. And having that self-sabotage voice is something that we all naturally have. It's it's something which we're... I, I don't know if we're born with it, but it's something that we, we live with for our whole life. And part of our journey in life, you know, whether we're, whether we're looking at writing or anything that we want to accomplish, is we have to learn how to keep that voice as small and as quiet as possible. Because that voice actually keeps us in our comfort zones and it also keeps us small. And that voice is the voice which is harder on ourselves then we're harder on anyone else. It's our internal, internal critical voice. And we say things to ourselves that we'd never say to anyone else. We beat ourselves up. And it is ultimately, and this is the big, big thing, it is the killer of dreams. And as a coach, I see it constantly. The self-sabotage jumps up. So how do you stop that voice from taking over and telling yourself that you can't become a best-selling author, that you can't finish that book, you can't become anything in life. And one of the ways you can do it, which is kind of interesting, is as a writer, you're brilliant at creating characters and you're brilliant at creating the voice of that character. But as you learn that skill, we need to use that technique on the voice the self-sabotage. We have to make it a character. And when we do that, we can separate itself from who we really are. We give it its own role and we talk to it. Give it a name. Give it, give it a name of someone, someone in our writing group, that is a great tip. Call it George or something and tell it that, George, it's time to be quiet because I'm trying to write my book here. I'm trying to write my bestseller. So give it a name and separate it from yourself and that will help to quieten it. And remember, it's a lifelong journey. You can't shut it down unless you've had some spiritual enlightenment like Eckhart Tolle <laughs> where the ego has disappeared from you. It's always going to be there. So quieten it down. And I think at some point during the journey, Mark, we'll probably have to remind ourselves of that as we hit some brick walls, no doubt. Mark, Mark, can you hear my voice? My tiny voice? <laughs> this is the voice of self-sabotage telling you this is going to be a complete car crash. <laughs> but, you know, don't it's, say it, I didn't tell you so. Absolutely. But it's an, inter- it's an interesting one that she brought that up because I do think that best-selling authors, authors that have broken through... They, they've probably gone through some journey where they've managed to get that voice quieter because I, I honestly don't think you can write a bestseller if you're constantly there just telling, telling yourself you can never do it. Yeah, of course. You've got, I mean, any, any, any piece of art, putting yourself out there, it's that thing of you, you're bit, you've got to, you've got to have a huge ego to do it in the first place and then a whole ton of humility to, uh, to, to, 
to take on board any criticism you might get you know it's mm. it's an odd it's an odd balance uh it is it's it is absolutely huge and criticism that can be a whole other lesson and session because that's another reason why people don't actually want to put anything out there because they fear that they're going to get criticism but i'll leave that for another motivational minute i don't want to yeah we'll leave that for the last episode <laughs> yeah exactly all the one star reviews on amazon <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which are going to come we know they will but you know what? It's better than it's better to have a one star review on Amazon than no reviews at all. No, it's not. Right? <laughs> no, oh, okay. it really isn't. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, it's better to it's you know what's worse than no what's worse than criticism? No criticism. I.e., because if you're going to put yourself out there, somebody somewhere, and, and the more successful you get, the more criticism you get. That's just how it works. Because there's more people out there who don't like your stuff. Because there's a bigger pool to pull from. So it's going to happen. I've been there with music, trust me. Oh my gosh, I can tell you well, some stories. Galantz, Galantz do a wonderful thing. Uh, the, again, these are on YouTube. They're one-star reviews. They get their authors to... It's like the mean tweets thing, you know? Oh, Jimmy, brilliant. Come on, and they, they get the authors to read, read out. out the, oh. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's it. absolutely hilarious. Oh, that is... What really a brilliant good. idea. Yeah. Oh, well, well, maybe we'll do that. Yeah, we'll we pop that on the Facebook out. page as well. We, yeah, we could dedicate a whole show just to our one-star review. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that brings us to the end of this Hang episode. on, hang on, hang on. Have we had a oh. question of the week? Oh, we haven't, have we? Ah, no, we have. We do have one, absolutely. So the question of the week this week comes from Kath- Catherine Taylor, who comes from us from Nepal. Yes, we have listeners what? in Nepal. I know. She's halfway up a mountain working for VSO, helping with the oh, earthquake. Cool. And she's writing a book. In, in, she says there's, no, there's very little internet. She, she has to go down a hill to a little cafe where she can get internet and she are listens you, to our show. Are you making am, this up? I am not making this up, honestly. <laughs> she, she, she sent me this email. And I, v, VSO, and she's there um, helping to coordinate, apparently, the, the earthquake that happened a few oh, years gosh, ago. Oh, gosh, the uh, relief. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll stop. She was involved. She was in that earthquake and she was flown out, evacuated. Wow. Um, and now she's gone back because she desperately wants to help. So anyway, sorry, we're, we're telling our life You've story. You've just made is... me feel awful. Go on, carry on. No, it, and this is it. This is totally for real. <laughs> and so <laughs> there are some incredible people out there in the world. But anyway, um, she asked the question because she writes in, she hasn't got much electricity, so she writes a lot in the evenings. And so she's got this incredible setup, she says. She can focus on her book loads, no distractions with like internet and things like that. But her question, she's in her book right now, she's really stuck on really nailing the hook. So her question is, how do you know when you've got a hook in your book? Mm, That's a very good question. Um, I mean, I... I started out as a, well, I started out in book selling. I then became a sales rep for uh, headline publishing. And what you could do is you travel around the country and you'd go to, from bookshop to bookshop and you'd have to pitch that month's titles to the bookseller. And the thing you'd do is you would find the hook. You know, it's that log line. It's that, that little bit in the TV guide that, that tells you why you should be watching this, you know. So it's, you know, it's shark terrorizes a beach community. Okay, a teenage yeah. girl has telekinetic powers. It's it's um, it's that the reason you're reading it, uh, and you know we we're talking about macros before as well. So that's the big one. But okay. I think on every page, you on every chapter, you need a hook. You know, we talked before right. about having the guy come through the door with a gun. That's the Dan yes. Brown hook, you know, or the Raymond Chandler hook, where 
it's it's constantly getting you to read more and read more. So, so there's I, a major hook for the book, which yeah. is like almost like the line you read on the back page, and a million mini hooks, and then a million you know? as many hooks as you can. So, but but yeah. the hook itself, by the nature yeah. of the word, it has to hook people in, doesn't it? Like in music, it has to be something which I always it, I always think of that 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 you know the crook on the Muppet Show when uh, Fozzie uh, yeah, yeah. Gonzo had to, had to be pulled off, but uh, it's it's the thing that draws you in, you know, and hmm. making it interesting, and it comes back to what Maria said about there's not enough story people don't know what a scene is you know they uh, right from a place of generosity she said you know have a fast-paced story so don't indulge too much don't get too boring make it exciting make it thrilling make it truthful uh and just keep people on the hook you know and it is again it's 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 tricky because you know you 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 feel obliged to explain things to people but explaining isn't necessarily storytelling have action 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 mm. your characters have to have agency that is they they have to be doing things rather than being told things you know uh, right. it's, it just keeps you interested one of the best examples of that you know because people complain about too much exposition in books and films or whatever if you watch a film like um Raised of the Lost Ark, right? There's a huge exposition scene in that where the two guys from the government come to Indy and they say, we've heard about this thing called the Lost Ark. And mm. normally at that point in a movie, someone sits down with a hero and says, there's a thing called the Lost Ark and we need you to go on a mission and I'm Dr. Exposition, I'm explaining everything to you. What they do in Raised of the Lost Ark, Indy says, oh, I know exactly what this is. Let me tell you. You know, uh -huh. so that's, that's exposition, but it's being delivered by our hero. And we're going great, this guy really knows his stuff, you know? And because of that, you're leaning forward, you're hooked, you are mm. totally engrossed with this. So I think, you know, uh, the hook is keeping people's interest, which is really, really hard. There's no simple answer there, but that's what it is. And for me, you know, when I was selling stuff in, I would always look for that one little thing that was unique to the book as well. You know, right. the, the thing that... that was the spark that the, the you know that set the author off on this journey in the first place so it's it's tough but maybe maybe think about that maybe think about what got you writing this in the first place one of the things i do with uh, john wright when when we start writing something is we do a statement of intention mm -hmm. you know we're working on a script now we were in a pub around the back of selfridges we were having a conversation and we thought that's a really good idea for a a story and we wrote it down and we've we've and as particularly with uh, scripts because other people interfere you know producers or whatever sort what maria was talking about earlier actors or whatever might might have their own take on it and start to steer you off course but if you've got that original intention there that thing that hooks you into the story that got you interested involved in the idea mm -hmm. if you can keep going back to that as a kind of a reference then you'll stay true to that original hook so it's the thing that's can sometimes spark the initial idea but it's also it sounds like Catherine you need to be able to if you can't describe your book to someone in in less than a couple of sentences then the hook possibly still isn't there so if you if you can just trip off the tongue then that's the book's hook but i also want to thank Catherine for opening that massive can of worms because it, <laughs> it really is like a... it's it's such a simple question but and there's no simple answer to it but you know i think uh, you have to remember someone eventually is going to have to sell your book you know, and that person, if you're self-publishing, that's going to be you. You're the one who's going to have to write the description uh, f for the website or for the, you know, the blurb on the back of the book or whatever it is. Uh, so maybe think about that first of all. Don't allow it to be totally dictate what you write, but at least it will get you off and running and going in the right direction.
I think we could we could do a whole show on this because there's so much there and I haven't even started on the musical hooks and how that links in and that's a whole other comparison yeah. we could draw in but I also wanted to mention about an incredible tool that I've been using it's by the same company that makes Scrivener that's literature and latte and the tool is called Scapple S-C-A-P-P-L-E and it's a fantastic brainstorming tool uh, something that you can use for mind mapping and what I've been using it for this week is I've been looking at some of the big whole plots uh, that we've currently got in our story and I've been mind mapping potential solutions so I've been looking at where the holes are and this tool is incredibly easy to use it's like a point and click and you can draw arrows join things up and being a bit of a visual person I find it really really fascinating and so if you want to try and mess around with your plot visually and you maybe tried uh, the cork boards and the postcards and and note-taking and the like. Um, try this visual option as well with mind mapping. It's exceptionally clever. And you can check out Scapple. There's a trial on their website where you can use it for 30 days. And the address is literatureandlatte.com. But we are drawing to a close now of this session, and we'd like to thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to to be here um, as your car crash authors as we as we try and work out what on earth we're doing. We are progressing our book quite quite a lot, actually, Mark. We haven't put anything down on paper yet in terms of actually started writing, but we are in the plotting phase of our book, and I'm learning Whoa. about how. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm learning, uh, interestingly enough, how in depth that stage is. That's something I wasn't so we'll talk a bit more about that um in the next couple of episodes because i think it'd be interesting to kind of give people a bit of an insight into that process um but until then uh, we'd like to thank you so much for spreading the word on itunes if you haven't subscribed yet to our podcast please do and and please as we say always uh, rate and review um if you can that really helps get the word out there and do join us on facebook uh, it's facebook forward slash bestseller experiment on twitter it's Twitter XP is our handle. And Mark, the website? It's at bestseller XP, dear boy. At bestseller XP. And okay. you can get in touch with us. <laughs> exactly. How many times? What did I say? Uh, you said Twitter XP. I don't know what that is, mate. <laughs> yeah. I have no Some idea. Some guy on Twitter on XP is going to suddenly get all these random... <laughs> Writers asking about okay. books. Just, <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. Just If I say anything on this podcast, just ignore it. All right. I'm the one... I'm the one who's got a cold and is up late and is dosed on Limsip. I should be making those sort of mistakes. Right, and contact us at our website, uh, which is bestsellerexperiment.com. Sign up to the bestseller list, which is our mailing list, where you get the wonderful free ebook with all the tips from our wonderful authors, The Vault of Gold. And you can follow us on Twitter too. I'm at Mark Stay, and my colleague is at 4000 Saturdays, 4000 Saturdays. Wonderful stuff. So it's a very good week in your writing. Have a fantastic week in whatever it is you choose to do. Make it productive. Find your voice, people. It is time to find your voice. It's a really and it's a good it's a goodbye from Mark One. God bless you, Governor. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> See you next week. See you guys. Bye.